So hey, listen, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. And in this episode, I am interviewing the principals at CPI Capital. Ava and August started CPI Capital years ago to be an owner-operator, but today they're focused on their private equity and co-syndication model. What I thought interesting in this interview is the fact that they're actually located in Vancouver, Canada, and are actually doing deals with very experienced operators in the Sun Belt. They've raised and deployed tens of millions of dollars, have over $200 million of assets under management through their co-syndication platforms and raising money and deploying it with operators. Believe it or not, they actually started their business to be an owner-operator and found that through all the work they were doing to raise capital, they actually thought it'd be better to JV with partners. I love this interview because a couple things. Number one, I asked them, what is their process to actually vet out an owner-operator? So you're going to hear their five specific criteria that they used in order to find operators in the Sun Belt. Number one. Number two, we also talked a lot about the four metrics that they want to see for deals that they invest in in the Sun Belt. We had a great conversation, number three, about yield, a little bit about the market, what's going on with interest rates, what's going on with cap rates, and of course, finding yield for investors. And we also talked a lot about underwriting. Number four, some specific criteria that you're going to hear about how they underwrite deals, specific metrics that they're looking for. And I love this because they're investing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where they live and operate. Okay. Operating, living, Vancouver, investing in the Sun Belt in the United States. So, if any of you are looking to do virtual investing or investing outside of your actual market, I think you'll get a ton out of this interview with Ava Benasaki and August Benayez from CPI Capital. Here we go. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you're looking to retire early with forever passive income, you're in the right place. This podcast is the go-to destination for real estate investors, both active and passive, and multifamily apartment investors, both new, intermediate, and advanced. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So Ava, August, hey, thanks for joining me on Accelerated Investor. So glad to have you guys on the show. We're so happy to be here, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having us. Couldn't wait. And doing a bit of research on your show and seeing the guest that you've had on is an honor and privilege to be here. So Absolutely. can't wait to add value to your audience, man. Absolutely. Thanks for jumping on. Listen, why don't we just talk real quick about what you guys are up to right now? You guys are running this private equity firm. I know you guys have done a lot of deals in the Sun Belt. You're raising money constantly. But what is a project or what's a, an investment opportunity that you guys are working on right now, like this afternoon, next week? Tell me what's cooking, what's going on right now in your uh, in your world. 
I think I think we, we just closed on we our just deal. Closed on a deal in Houston, Texas. So Ava is head of investor relations, and she's like, "Get me a deal, August. Get me a deal." So that's where we're at, really talking to our operating partners, looking for deals. We're scouting uh, the next best investment to to bring to our investor community. Yes, and, and also internally, we're, we're 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 somewhat growing here at CPI Capital. So we have a couple of new partners on board, and we're trying to get them fit into their position. So those are kind of quick updates. Nice. Tell me about the deal in Houston. The reason why I'm asking is because. I own about 650 units in Houston in the Spring Branch submarket, and I'm on my way to Houston on Tuesday. So tell me about your deal. Nice. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's a 232 unit, uh, built in 2000, value add. It was like the most perfect deal because it wasn't picked over by syndicators. So 137 of the units were in classic condition. Oh, so nice. yeah, so none of the units had washer and dryers. So we're really excited about that. So we're going to go in there and start the renovation process soon here and uh and yeah, get going. Minutes from Wal- uh, Walmart yes. and minutes from Home, Home Depot. Depot. When you got those two Goliaths nearby, you're in a good position. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Now, how did you guys select that deal or that operator to partner with and that kind of submarket in Houston. What were some of the the boxes that you had to check to make that deal go? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I just want to point out really quickly is it's very important, of course, when we when we vet the right operators to partner with. And the particular operator that we partnered with on this deal actually wrote the book on underwriting. Okay. So that's a key component of our business, right? Underwriting properties, being conservative, making sure the numbers make sense. So that's that's kind of one aspect that we really fell in love with. The other aspect is they're very focused in the Houston market. They've yes. had few deals that has gone through full cycle. We looked at how their performance on those deals were. They're very much invo- hands-on involved in the renovation process. My background comes from construction and development uh, as, as a general contractor for a long time. So I, I know how it is for real estate investors to be at the mercy of a contractor. But in their situation, they had the contracting team in-house so they had taken two deals in Houston through his full cycle with extensive renovations that were more extensive than this deal. So knew, we knew that they could manage that part and as got, well. And, and, and achieved incredible returns for investors on those two particular deals that they went through the full cycle. Absolutely. Right. You said yeah. they wrote the book. What's the name of the book? Like, who's the author? I'd love to Rob, read this. Rob Beardsley. Rob Beardsley. I don't have his name as his book in front of me, but... Uh, the, uh, how to Underwrite a Multifamily Something. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rob. Gotcha. Good one. You have to. Absolutely. We've done 18 syndications. So I'd like to think I know a few things, but I'm always learning that. If I, I, I didn't know there was a book out on yeah. how to underwrite. So I have to check it out for sure. That's great. So, what are your thoughts on the market today? Obviously, there's war in Ukraine, interest rate, fear of them. If interest rates going to go up and then go through the roof like the 80s, that's not going to happen. We have too much debt. It can't happen. But what are your thoughts on the market today? And obviously, you guys are specifically focused on the Sun Belt. So help my audience understand why the Sun Belt and what are your thoughts about where we're going with the economy as a whole? Yeah, I'll talk first on, on why the Sun Belt. So we look for certain growth metrics when it comes to what regions we want to invest in, particularly job growth, uh, population growth, rental growth, and income growth. And you know, with interstate migration and international migration to these to these states, these are the places we want to be. We're in the business of rentals. The U.S. is a renters nation, and people are flocking to these states, which is great for for us. Yeah, no, that yeah. was great. No, for for me personally, I mean, having a look at the market where it's going, we look at the macroeconomics, the, the microeconomics. We look at a long term, short term. Long term, I feel very bullish about the the, the U.S. Uh, you know, real estate economy, the U.S. economy, at looking at it at, at, from a thirty thousand view. 
The research we've done so far, the U.S. still has one of the highest rental yields in the world. You compare it to Canada, compare it to Europe, compare it to Asia, uh, compare it to other places in the world. U.S. has one of the highest rent-to-value ratios. I mean, it's all about the yield. That's the business we're in, right? We're chasing yields. So uh, long-term, feel very strongly about it. Cap rates are being compressed in certain areas. You know, I mean, you've seen... Uh, people wouldn't touch a deal in Arizona if it was a less than an eight per eight cap. And now, yeah. you know, deals are going at a four cap. So the market is changing. But look at Vancouver, look at Toronto, look at look at areas where you do have an international migration coming into these two large cities in Canada. And cap rates are, you know, on a multifamily uh, class A cap rates are at two percent, two and a half percent. So is there still room to grow when it comes to rent? Absolutely. Is there room for uh, cap rates to still be compressed? Absolutely. So I would say that deals are going to get a bit more difficult to find. You also had at the start of the pandemic, a lot of other asset classes started focusing on multifamily. You had industrial, you had office space, you had hospitality, hospitality that, that switched their focus to multifamily. So you had this rush of capital into multifamily that you know made the deals more scarce. I think they'll, they'll, they'll start focusing back yeah. into their space. Our job as uh, asset managers, our, our job as fund managers is to find the best deal for, for our investors. So, you know, US, over 300 million people, richest country in the world. To give you a perspective here, we're here in Canada, 40 million population, one of the second largest landmass country in the world, G7 country. The state of Texas has a larger economy than the country of Canada. Canada. The state of Texas has a larger economy than the country of Russia. So when you talk about investing in Texas, you're in a good place, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to hear. I always like to hear somebody else that I'm just getting to know tell me that I've made a good decision of investing in Houston. So I think I made the right choice, but you you know, it's just always good to hear that positive kind of feedback. Talking a little bit more about the market and directionally, one of the things my investing thesis, my hypothesis is that interest rates are going to have to go up some, but because we have so much debt now, this is not like the 1980s, $30 trillion, that a massive increase in the Fed funds rate, 200 bips, 300 bips, would absolutely tank the residential real estate market, would absolutely tank the stock market. The Federal Reserve doesn't want to do that. And we have so many unfunded liabilities in our economy from pension funds, life insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, things like that. I actually think the Federal Reserve wants the inflation to debase the dollar a little bit so that these unfunded liabilities become more affordable. So that's my thesis. And what's going to happen is, is interest rates will go up. But I think because there's so much money, people like you, people like me doing deals, raising capital, there's a lot of demand for multifamily. It's been the darling asset of COVID, right? So as interest rates go up, there's the spread right between interest rates and cap rates. I feel like interest rates will go up, but cap rates will probably hold for a while. And that spread will just get a little thinner. So I'd just love to hear your comment on that kind of global macroeconomic kind of talk there. We probably could talk about it for days and days. We don't have that kind of time. But what are just your thoughts on that whole interest rate, cap rate, where we're kind of going to go here in the next year or two? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I concur with you on most of those items that you brought up. Again, I I, I compare the U.S. market, particularly in these in Houston, in in Phoenix, in other areas to Vancouver and Toronto. And and that's exactly what happened here. The cap rates were compressing as, in the, you know, depending on, on the interest rates. At times, cap rates do follow interest rates, but at, at times they don't. So it's not a exact mark. But in, in my opinion is, yeah, currently the hands-off investor book 
has has put set the bar as far as what the return should be for investors, kind of the seven to nine percent pref returns on, on the cash flow, you know, six to eight percent cash on cash. You got the high teens in the IRRs for investors. That's set the bench. But as the numbers change, as the interest rate changes, as the market changes, those numbers change. So we're chasing yields for our investors. But if the market doesn't allow for, for those returns, look at it this way. In Canada, most real estate private equity firms don't provide any cash flow. Wow. So it depends on the investors need to change the perspective about, about what's going on. But deals will still continue happening. Deals still will go on. Now, as far as where the interest rates are going and what's happening with the Fed and, and what have you, my, my prediction is uh, it's a very fragile situation with the markets currently. They're not going to come in and increase interest rates. You know, Bank of Canada already increased the interest rates a bit. The U.S. hasn't followed suit yet. So I think they're they're afraid of shocking the, the system right now. But yeah, definitely the, the interest rate will go up. But again, as fund managers, as syndicators, they need to have uh, put into place higher exit caps and uh, take that into account. And it's not always sunshine and rainbows and uh, investors need to understand that as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what we did when we underwrite the when we, on our underwriting on our Houston, Texas deal is we actually put a higher exit cap than the entry cap, which was, was obviously very conservative by 0.75. So that's great. That's good. Yeah. You got to make those moves. And if the cap rates do stay down and there's a lot of money in the system as there is now, then, you know, the exit profits is more for everybody based off of your prediction. So that's fantastic stuff. So guys, help me understand a little bit more about your business structure. I mean, my audience is not only investors, operators, and also limited partners, but a lot of them are just building businesses, right? So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your just structure of your business. What really is kind of your investment, the kind of thesis or the reason what you're doing, what you're doing, and how do you do it? Like, I know you originally started, we were talking offline about, you know, you were thinking you were going to be an owner operator. Now it's a lot more joint ventures, co-syndication, co-sponsorship. Just talk a little bit more about that and how your business has evolved over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. So my, back, yeah. my background's yes. in real estate for the last decade. And I was actually helping many, many investors invest in real estate, residential real estate. There was a lot of pain points that I've seen existed for real estate investors, particularly. And when I met August, and he's going to tell you a little bit about our, his background, but we both noticed these pain points that existed for investors. And we wanted to uh, find a solution to that problem with the pain points. So that's where we kind of co-founded CPI Capital about three years ago, where now we've really created this streamlined process for investors to be able to show up kind of by the click of a button is what I say. We vet and bring them the best investment opportunities on a platter where they already have that know, like, and trust with us because we've built really strong relationships with our investors. And now they have access to great real estate opportunities, completely passive, hands-off, where they don't have to worry about anything, no headache involved, and they're starting to build wealth passively. So they still invested in real estate, but doesn't have all the hassles of being a landlord and getting the debt and everybody knows all the, the headaches that, that come with real estate investing. Tenants and toilets, right? Tenants and toilets, exactly. Yeah. Just for me to add to that a bit. So, I, I mean, it's, it's great for, for your audience to hear like our journey. We were both real estate professionals. This is not a space that we fell into or, or multifamily wasn't an asset class that we had experience with in the past. We seeked it. So it, our situation was like my background is in construction, development, real estate. I started as a licensed agent 16 years ago. I talked really fast. So the people who, do, who got this at 2x, <laughs> I must slow it down. They got, they, got, they got to slow it down to 1.5x. But yeah, started my, my, my career uh, 16 years ago as a, as a licensed agent. I wasn't really good at being a licensed agent, but I was good at finding deals. 
So I started doing small fix and flips, started my own general contracting company, uh, moved on to build single family homes, and then always wanted to scale. So I started doing multifamily ground up development. And when I was doing multifamily ground up development, I was syndicating deals before even knowing what syndication was, but it was more on a JV situation. So I'll find a deal. I would bring on the investors. I'll bring on the contractors. I was a single family contractor. I wasn't a multifamily contractor. So I'll bring on the multifamily contractor. I would get a piece of the profits as my sweat equity into the deal. I like that model, but the issue with ground up development, particularly where I was located in, in Canada, the entitlement process took a long time. It took almost two years for rezoning, dealing with the city. And then when you started the construction process, you're dealing with environmental, potential environmental issues. You're dealing with cost overruns, contractors, suppliers. And then when marketing comes in, the market could have changed by that time because uh, our market is very much foreign dependent, foreign investor dependent here in, in Vancouver because of immigration and what have you. So I was always looking for a, a different type of asset class or a different type of investment to invest with. And when I connected with Ava, she had the same, she was seeing the same issues when she was helping investors invest in single family as, a, as an agent. And we're like, hey, there should be a process that we can kind of merge our two companies, merge our two businesses and allow more people to invest into real estate. And then when we went looking at the property type or the business model, we were introduced to US multifamily. And what we saw is, is groups, rather than doing ground up development and going through all the headaches that I just mentioned, they would buy already built apartment communities. These are stable assets. They're cash flowing from day one. And they, they would do some small renovations, some value add, sell the asset in three to five years and get, give great return back to their investors. But what was shocking to me is that they were cash flowing from day one. I'm like, how is this possible? And because I'm, I'm going by the Vancouver yeah, two the, to 3% cap rates. Yeah. Negative cash flows. Negative, negative cash, cash flow flows. in most cases. So I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. I looked at it and it can be done all over the US and California and New York. They do have a lower cap rate, so it's not really possible. Yeah. But in this Sunbelt states, Anyways, we fell in love with the model to buy an already built apartment building to, uh, you know, do some level of re renovation, exit in three to five years, but also with the alignment that existed with investors, you know, the GP's alignment. In our businesses, as a general contractor, as, as an agent, you get paid no matter what happens with the deal. Whereas as a GP in a syndication or as a fund manager, in most cases, you're compensated relative to your performance, to the performance of the asset, particularly when you have preferred returns and hurdles in place. So that kind of keeps the sponsor's feet to the fire to make sure they're bringing good deals because the majority of the profits they're going to make yeah. is on the back end. And uh, if they don't, you know, if they don't perform, people will not invest with them and it's a small space. So because of those reasons, we fell in love with the model. The plan was for CPI Capital to be the operator and the sponsor and, the, you know, uh, deal with both sides of it because in this business, it's the deal and it's the, it's the equity. But soon when we started CPI Capital, there yeah. was so much time and resources spent into cultivating and nurturing relationship with investors that were like, hey, at this juncture, it might make more sense to partner with operators as our boots on the ground. And but the reason we also picked that route is because we realized that we wanted to bring, we wanted to actually start off by bringing an institutional multifamily asset to our investor community. Great point. Like, what's the best investment that we can bring to our investors? And that was it. So we're like, okay, I understand most people start off with the fourplex, you know, 10, then they work their way up to a 10 unit and so forth. Uh, we didn't want to go that route. We wanted to go full force and bring the best investment to our investor. Absolutely. Community. Absolutely. And we're like, okay, how are we going to do that? Okay, let's find the regions we want to be in. Once we find those regions that have the numbers that the growth metrics that we're looking for, now let's go and find the best operating partners to partner with. 
And that's what we started doing. And we made ourselves really well known in the U.S. multifamily fraternity in the U.S. Nice. Uh, where now we set ourselves up today by not only partnering with the most incredible operating partners, who, by the way, really set ourselves up even more because an operator, as we all know, they have to probably underwrite 500 deals before they really lock down that great, you know, golden nugget deal, right? So by the time the deals hit our table, they've already been vetted, okay? They're already like pretty much going under contract and they get kind of handed over our desk, and then we get to cherry pick the best deals for our investor community. Cherry pick the deals from multiple regions, from multiple operators who've underwritten hundreds of deals. So by the time that funnel is literally like a funnel, by the time the deal gets to our investors, and just for me to add a bit to, to that is also initially, again, I said CPI, we wanted to start, be an operator and the general sponsor, but, and that is still in plans. We still, still want to be the operator in, in some point here in probably Q1, Q2 of 2023, but we still want to do the model we currently use because it ended up being an incredible model because of what we just explained as far as deal flow, as far as the quality of the deals. You got the other sponsor vetting the deals. You got our team vetting the deals. And then one other thing, again, going back to the investor alignment, a lot of times investors are like, okay, there's two GPs involved. Does that mean that my returns are going to be depleted? No, that's not the case. In most cases, I mean, talking about our our situation and other sponsors that we know about is there is a portion of the profits allocated to the general partner in fees and in the promote. Now, our groups who co-syndicate, we just get a portion of that. There is no extra portion that gets cut out from the investors because there's two GPs. So we we fell in love with them all. So we'll continue using this model that we currently have, but we'll also be- As we you build know, up our operations and infrastructure in places, in, in the regions that we want to be in as well. Got it. Love it. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. So two questions, one more geared toward the limited partners, right? And recruiting limited partners. So this is really a question I'll ask you guys that will benefit our audience that's also seeking more of their own limited partners. What is your favorite way or favorite methods to make new relationships, meet new people, have new blood in the pipeline, if you will, of limited partners, because that's the lifeblood of a private equity firm. It's the lifeblood of a syndication. It's those LPs. So again, speak to that portion of our audience that are also operators seeking to raise their own capital. What's some of the best methods that you've used to make those new relationships? Well, we are in the business of relationships, right? So that's the number one most important thing. Without the relationships with our investors, we really can't do much. So there has to be this component of no like, and trust. It's very important. So what August and I did when we first started was, okay, how can we create that strong no like, and trust from day one? So what we decided to do was become thought leaders in real estate private equity, start bringing value to people. And how do we get in front of people? Well, we go and speak on as many platforms as we can. We do presentations, we do meetups, we do webinars, all that kind Kind of stuff. And that's really how we get people in the pipeline to want be interested and, and want to learn more. Because when you give free value to somebody, they automatically feel connected with you. 
and they want to, they want to start to learn more. So that's really the route that we took when it came to having our YouTube show, Real Estate Private Equity Academy. And then again, uh, spending a lot of our time going out there to educate on a daily basis, like yes. with speaking engagements, but also on platforms like LinkedIn and other places, education, 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 yes. newsletters, blogs, yes. you name it. Just to give a summary of that, I would say build a brand, yep. add value, connect on a personal level with your potential investors. And again, this, this doesn't have to be a model. You know, I was uh, reading books on Steve Schwartzman and Blackstone and, you know, the books like Barbarians at the Gate yeah. and King of Capital. I mean, he he just left the bank that he was working at and made a few phone calls to a few investment firms in Japan and the US. And he ended up raising hundreds of millions of dollars on his first deal. Yes, are there firms that you know come from Wall Street or come from different backgrounds and they can make few calls and raise tens of millions of dollars? Yes, but if you're going like the grassroots way, if you're going from <laughs> coming from a different profession into real estate and yes. you don't have a demographic you can leverage, you have to go this route. This would be probably, in my opinion, the best route is to building a brand around yourself, building a brand around your company, adding value to your audience creating a tribe, adding value to that tribe, adding value to that community, and then connecting with them on a personal level. We're just flying to Toronto in a couple yeah, of weeks, yeah. having an investor dinner uh, with our investors. Some some of our investors who've invested at LP many times in giant companies says, hey, I've n- we've never been at dinner with the CEO. So, And uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on, which is really important for anybody listening is, investors want an incredible experience. There are so many operators to invest with. They want to show up and feel something, you know, they want to, they want to enjoy the experience that, that they go through. Right. So we've made it a priority here that people, I, my investors have my personal cell phone number. You know what I mean? They get to get on a call with me. We get to constantly communicate. It's, it's an experience for them. We invite them to investor dinners. They're part of something. They're part of a tribe. And yeah, that's really important, important. They don't want to be, I was on a call with a doctor once and he was like, you know, Ava, I just got off the phone with this operator and I was just like, just another fish, small fish in their sea. Just a number. Yeah. yeah they just, next... they just wanted my, my 50 grand and they didn't really even like, there was nothing more to it. I could just by you taking the time to have a quick call with me and connecting with me to learn a little bit about who I am. It means the world. I'm going to invest with you guys. Yeah. And that was the determining factor. Love it. Love it. I actually use the 506B rules as my excuse. Um, So when I meet with someone for the first time, normally they want to pepper people like us with questions. What about your deal? What's the pref? If they have any idea of how this is already structured, you know, what's the IRR? How much equity do you give up? Blah, 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 blah. I quickly, because I grew up in sales, I grew up in financial planning. I know that the person asking the questions is in control. And so what I say is, listen, you know, this all falls under Reg D, whether we use a 506B or a 506C. The SEC requires that we have a prior existing relationship before I can even make you an offer. And even though the 506C doesn't require it, right, the 506B does. And so I just said, look, the, these require that we have a prior existing relationship. So if it's okay with you, like I could use your money, but I don't need it. And so I'd like to pr- create a relationship with you, one, because it's required, but two, because you have to be a qualified investor. Like you have to qualify to do this. And long term, I'd rather have a smaller group of investors that I have better relationships with than a ton of investors that invest a small amount. And so I'd rather have better relationships with less people. That's resonated on such a high level with so many people. I was on the phone with a couple of guys this past week and they're like, you're the first person that really ever asked us any questions. Everybody else is just doing a 506C and just presenting us the deal right away. Yeah. 
And frankly, they all kind of sound the same. Like they're, hey, six, eight, nine percent pref, 70, 30 split. What makes you different? Right. And if they're asking the questions, you're on your heels. It's very tough to be different. So the fact that we are going after long-term relationships, we are, like you said, Ava, trying to be more of a personal, create that personal relationship. We are part of their full-blown wealth plan, their retirement plan, and hopefully for a long, long time, right? So it just, I guess I'm speaking more to my audience about the way that they're doing it at CPI Capital, very, very much in lockstep with the way I do it, and it's working. So we must, we must know something. We must be doing something right. So I would love to ask you just a couple more questions. And really, it would be around advice, right? Like, so first thing would be, if you were to start over and look back 16 years ago when you were just getting started as a contractor, an investor, 10 years ago when you guys were real estate agents, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger former self? Like, what challenges did you hit that maybe you now know how to solve? What choke points were there? that you're like, wow, I never saw that coming, but you got through it. What kind of advice would you pass along to a newer investor, a newer syndicator, a newer person raising money, or your younger former self? Yeah, for sure. So being an entrepreneur, it's kind of built within us to try to go in like with our, you know, our smart ideas, our creative ideas, and try to kind of reinvent the wheel and, and put, I'm going to put my systems in place and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. My best advice would be don't do that. <laughs> Let your yeah. creative ideas come and flow and everything like that, but don't try to reinvent the wheel because it's actually going to hold you back a little bit. So figure out where you want to go, put your guideline in place, but then also look up to somebody who's already has they've already invented the wheel and see how their systems are going and kind of mimic their systems. And I think you set yourself up for success a lot faster than trying to reinvent the wheel yourself. For sure. My advice would be, I mean, particularly focusing on a real, building a real estate private equity firm from the ground up, if you're building a, an investment firm, which requires investors and what have you is there's a lot of great coaching programs out there. Definitely get a coach, 100% get a coach. Coach, yes. We didn't, we, but we paid through it by blood, sweat, and tears exactly. and learning a lot. You pay for it one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. We, if you write the check or you pay through it for it through blood, sweat, and tears. And it ends up costing you money anyways. If you try right. Absolutely. Dan Sullivan's book, Who Not How, definitely yes. you know get the right people on the bus and bring on the, the experts who know what they're doing. Absolutely do that on the first first day. Also, I have a lot of advice I want to give, a lot of advice, is also creating content, man. you got to be a content creator. If you're shy on the camera, if you're shy to talk to investors, if you're shy to be on a podcast, if you're you know not detailed, that's gonna be, it's going to be a difficult business for you. But yeah. you can overcome it. If you're shy, it's all good. You got this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Let me think. I was going to mention one last thing here that was, that was that's super important. Oh, uh, another quick advice. Again, building a company is hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, look, as a CEO of growth, I spend all my time looking at deals, talking to investors, and looking 6 to 12 to 24 months out. That's all I do. Sometimes I don't even feel like I'm working, right? Because I'm either in front of a desk, I'm in front of a computer, I'm talking on a Zoom, I'm talking to an investor, I'm wearing a hoodie, like I'm on the phone, I'm out at my properties. Even though we own or operate, I don't do the construction. My partner, Glenn, handles that silo of our business. And then I also don't do the property management or asset management. My partner, Tyler, does that silo of the business. And I trust them. We have an amazing working relationship. But somebody's got to look 12 to 24 months out, right? And if they're more actively in the business, it's just as important 
So I think a lot of it's about mutual respect. Like I used to think, okay, I'm the guy that raises the money. I'm the most important guy in the shop. And the mistake that I made is that this is truly a partnership. It's truly a partnership between the lender, the bank, the GPs, the LPs. Even like we've had a couple fires at some buildings, the insurance guy, like everybody's got to work together. So as I've been kind of grown up, I developed a lot more mutual respect for everybody's role. And that's allowed me then to say, okay, it's okay for me to spend my time thinking because thinking about the next 12 to 24 months or 36 months is so important. I used to think like, I'm just going to sit on whoever's handling CapEx. God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ride that guy and make sure it's all done the right way. Or asset management, we're going to sit on top of those property managers and make sure they're collecting every nickel. And I realized, you know what? Like the bigger problem is the unknown, right? And somebody's got to focus on that. And then when I found that that was my wheelhouse, that was my swim lane, it freed me up to not worry so much about the other things, let the guys do their jobs, run their silos. And for me, man, it's just created such a, a sense of freedom and a sense of accomplishment, I guess, to really know that I have my own swim lane and somebody's got to watch after that stuff down the road. It's really, really important. So that would be just my other piece of advice to throw back to my audience. One last question for you guys. So important. Since you guys decided to go more of the private equity co-sponsorship and partner with operators, what are some of the boxes that you have to check, the keys that you're looking for to select a good operator? Like you said, you look at dozens and dozens of deals and operators, and ultimately you decide on a few, a very small few, that you're actually going to do a deal with. So what's some of the criteria that you're looking for? Yeah, and I don't want this criteria to be used by limited partners, by passive investors, because our criteria is very yeah. strict. It was We've dedicated our life. We, we switched our careers to get into real estate, private equity. So we were very selective when it came to the operating partner to partner with in this business. You know, if you it happens, people do lose investor money. Thankfully, we have not lost any investor money, but it sticks with you for a long time. So it was very important that the operator. So our vetting process was very strict. So I don't prescribe it for passive investors. There's the great operators who don't meet these ones. A few things right off the bat, $100 million of assets under management, not through co-syndication, but under their belt. I mean, currently we have over $100 million under asset management, but it's through co-syndication. So second thing is having gone through full cycle of deals, having uh, done value add because renovations, yeah. there's some sort of thing that could come up. You can't handle it. In my years of being a general contractor, I've seen so many investors, again, like I said, at the mercy of a contractor or deals going array because a, a contractor is involved or contractor is not involved. So making sure that the operator has some level of understanding on the you know upgrades and value add and renovation side of the business, the, the transparency extremely important. When we get on a call with them, the questions you're asking, get us in touch with your past investors, yes. get in touch with other operators who co-syndicated with you, get us in touch with lenders, anyone. So it's it's their level of uh, how open they are and how transparent they are as far as their communications. You know, if I'm, we're looking to bring on a big portion of the equity on the deal and they don't answer my emails in a couple of days, you know, yeah. it's probably not somebody, you know, you got to be on it, man. I'm coming in here with equity. You, you know, you got to be on it and getting back to me. If you're not getting back to me as a as a large equity partner, as, as a co-GP, you're probably not going to get back to investors in time. You know, again, so any, anything else that comes to your mind? No, I think you hit all the, all the key points because, yeah, it's really important 
for us, because we're also showing our investors, hey, these are our boots on the ground. These are our operating partners. We have so, some other stuff. We, we require operating partners to come on webinars for our, uh, we have a separate webinar. We uh, require them to come on webinars and yeah. explain and, and kind of say, what do you like about the deal? You know, and also other transparency is about asking questions. What do you, what you don't like about the deal? It's important to say, hey, where yeah. is the risk that you yes. see? Where, you know, where do you think something that could possibly go wrong? So that's really the vetting process. Now, awesome. somebody coming in investing 25K or 50K might not get the same level of uh, transparency and same level of access to information. In our case, we're allocating millions of dollars to a deal. So keep that in mind as well. Again, that's why I said this might yes. not be the best uh, recipe. This might not be the best blueprint for passive investors. Yeah, no, I love it. Fantastic stuff, guys. Listen, I love your energy, both of you. You talk fast, just like I do. <laughs> I ask a question, you got to answer at the tip of your tongue. This has been an absolutely phenomenal interview. I love having you guys on. Guys, listen, for my audience, check out their website. You can register on their platform. Go to cpicapital.ca. Remember, they're in Canada. So .ca, check that out. You can register on their platform to get more information about their deals that they're co-syndicating, their operators. And again, I'm a big fan of the Sunbelt. I don't do a lot personally in the Sunbelt. We own about 2,000 units outside of Atlanta, but we're not really growing anymore in that market right now. So anybody on my audience is looking to invest in the Sunbelt, definitely get with the guys at CPI, spend some time with them, get their cell phone number like Ava talked about, meet with August, spend some time with them. If it resonates, make the jump. Stay tuned and maybe, you know, CPA Capital and Josh, is it Freeland? Yeah, yeah, Freeland, that's right. Freeland, you know, there might be a joint collaboration there for both of our investors, so stay tuned. Yeah, because we love your energy too, Josh. You're awesome, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, guys, listen, thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks for joining me today on Accelerated Investor. Thanks for having us. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I loved hearing more about their five criteria that they look to when they look for an investor to invest with in the Sunbelt, $100 million of assets under management full cycle investments, value-add strategies, transparency and openness, and their communication. I also loved hearing about their four criteria, including job growth, rent growth, population migration, and income growth. Absolutely great stuff. And if you enjoyed this interview, guys, listen, go right now on your phone, open Spotify, open Stitcher, open iTunes. I would be so grateful if you would just go in, leave us a rating, leave us a review, Give us a thumbs up. Tell us how we did. And of course, if you're looking for more information from me to access my portfolio, our websites, our Facebook pages, YouTube channel, visit FreelandVentures.com. We'll see you next time on Accelerated Investor. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, Help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.